Welcome to the Forever 80s podcast, hosted by Liz Worth, where we talk to fans, artists, collectors, and more about all the things we love about the 1980s. Hey there, welcome to the Forever 80s podcast. This is Liz Worth, and I am really excited today to introduce Gord Depp to the show. Gord is singer, songwriter, and guitar player for Canadian new wave band The Spoons. He is also the author of a book called Spoon Fed, My Life with the Spoons, and is the guitarist for Flock of Seagulls. Welcome, Gord. Nice to be here. Yeah, I'm excited Where to have you here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to be chatting with you today. So there's so many places that I think we could uh, we could start, but you know one of the things that I have been talking about uh, with guests on the show is this feeling that the '80s seem like they haven't really ended. And um, when I was a teenager in the '90s, no, you know people couldn't get away from the '80s fast enough, and it really felt like. Um, the culture of the nineties was going to last forever. Mm -hmm. It felt very definitive and it felt like all these lines were being drawn. And then around the year 2000 or so, all of a sudden everybody wanted to get back to the eighties. And, and, you know, that was at this point in time over 20 years ago and people seem like they still want to get back to the eighties. And it seems to me like all of a sudden, you're um, you're more right than you know. It was even (laughs) earlier for us. It was exactly Mm -hmm. as you say, when the, when the eighties ended, and grunge came in. I thought that was the end forever. I mean, that was it. I mean, I um, luckily I played guitar, so I had other bands. But people said, if you're going to send out demo tapes to record companies, put them in a plain brown envelope. Don't even mention the '80s. Don't mention the Spoons. It's over. It's like, and I believe that. And um, I think most people from the '80s did because it was, you know, grunge was like getting back to roots and you know getting rid of all the flamboyant '80s stuff that we enjoy so much, all the excess and the you know, the fashions and all that stuff, which, you know, was fun and games, but the music was great. But so what happened is we put a record out, a record company said, let's put out a best of record. And that was like 95, you know? So we're just barely into the nineties. And I said, why, why bother? It's over. Right. But that little tour and reaction to that best of record was amazing. And I started thinking, wait a second, maybe there's a second life for us. And, and sure enough, like you say, it's still going on now. Like I played, America with with the flock of seagulls and like middle America, which is kind of a little bit behind the coasts, you know, New York and Los Angeles, they're they're really just catching on. So it's it just never stops growing. I thought it was a fad that would last a couple of years. And here we are, like you say, how many years? Twenty five years later, and it's still going, you know. We're longer, thirty, isn't it? Thirty. Yeah. I mean, 30? I it's we don't have to, we don't have to get exact exactly mathy here because then it makes us all feel old i don't i'm trying to say i don't think it's going to stop i think it's just another genre of music like blues hip-hop heavy metal but it's just it's going to stay here forever i think you know with every new generation it's it's so interesting because i i know what you're talking about that, that feeling of it at the beginning it did feel also yeah like it would be a fad i remember um hearing other people talk about this and reading some articles about it where everyone was saying it was nostalgia right and it was and it and they were saying that in a in a way that they had a little bit of derision to it right like it was a critique as though everyone's just being nostalgic and and um that it was just this gap in time where we're kind of waiting for the next musical movement or the next big musical yeah. moment to come along and it seems like that didn't really happen yeah. and so instead of nostalgia it it feels like a celebration almost and it feels like people are trying to get back to something yeah. that maybe held a bit more meaning than current times do well i think i mean you see kids even grabbing some of the fashion you know mullets came back and females too and and the styles the clothing and you know all that stuff came back but musically if you took away all that stuff the, the shoulder pads and the leg warmers and the spandex the music was really good and the variety was insane like i would walk down queen street in toronto in the 80s and i'd be like a punk band at the rivoli there'd be an electro pop band at the at horseshoe or something and then there'd be a ska band at the bob bamboo or in the 90s it was kind of the same band and there'd be a room sort of shoegazer sort of you know it was a different thing and so people realized slowly that you know we didn't have to be embarrassed about the 80s because of our hair or whatever because the music was so, so damn good and that's why we do these tours. I just got, I'm 
in the middle, middle with, with uh, flock seagulls where you get up to 12, 15 bands a night filling like a hockey arena. <laughs> like some the bands at the beginning only do 10, 15 minutes, but people can't get enough because like you say, it, it's kind of nostalgia. It's, it's comfort food. It's a uh, time that was like, easy and, and without stress and simple for us but but also for like young generations they're going wow why, why how do we miss out on this because it's really good you know mm -hmm. when you say the time was easy and simple and without stress no i don't mean that... stress but it's just mm -hmm. like simpler times of trying of course there was stress yeah. you know maybe yeah. it's more about like well, how, what kind of you know hairspray are you going to use yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm simplifying it of course but it's just it was more about just I tell sometimes people it was like 10 years of Halloween. It was about dressing up and having fun and, and just letting loose where things became a lot more serious, not only musically, but in different ways for all of us all of a sudden. It's like it was it was like childhood almost going through the 80s. And all of a sudden we all had to grow up and get serious and wear plaid shirts. And <laughs> it wasn't the fun and games that it was through the 80s, you know. And people kind of miss that, I think. Mm, that's such an interesting I haven't I, you know, I hadn't thought about that that aspect of it before. Um it is that yeah there was there's something a lot I mean definitely a lot like I think a lot darker about grunge in the 90s uh my memories of the 90s and being a teenager then is that things felt very self-destructive at the time mm -hmm. and maybe that's something that was lacking in the 80s uh a little mm -hmm. bit because they had dark bands in the 80s but they were kind of cool you know you had Bauhaus and, right. and Joy Division and whatever else you know but um, they were kind of quirky in their own way. They were just playing parts. They were characters. And yeah, it was very, very colorful, very, it didn't even matter how great you were on your guitar, just what kind of great sounds you could squeeze out of it. You know, that's why you got people like Adrian Ballou and making elephant sounds or whatever, and, and talking talking heads. And it was just a time to be experimental and really um, original. You know, that was the thing back then. If you could stand out, and that was the key for the spoons. You know, we weren't necessarily the best band, but because we lived in Burlington, we, we weren't part of the Toronto scene. So when we came there, we had no idea what they were doing. And we were off in our little world doing what we were doing. And we kind of ended up being this quirky little talking headsy kind of band from Burlington that said, what, what are these guys doing? You know, because we had no idea what they were doing all along. So right away, record companies would come out and check us out. And we got signed really fast and, and just went from there. It didn't, it didn't um, hurt that, the, the video ages just around the corner. So we, we're just in time to grab that. We're a young band with a cute girl and all this stuff. And it was a really good time for us. But um, a lot of elements came together. And musically, we we're, weren't simple. Like Sandy and I had come from prog rock bands doing Genesis and that sort of thing. So we knew how to play, but we thought, well, we take elements of that and it becomes new wave, you know, very simply. Yeah, I want to ask you about those influences because, um, you know, I, I've... I've done other projects and one of my my deeper research projects was uh doing a history on the uh at the history of punk in Toronto, first wave punk in Toronto, Hamilton, London in the early 70s. So I'm used to talking to punk bands who are trying to get away from prog rock altogether, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And so when I talk to you, bands like The Spoons or Strange Advance, you guys are all talking about prog influences and yeah. I think that that is probably a, uh, also a big reason as to why the sound of your music is is so enduring is because you were coming at it with this different yeah. complexity that can I think speak to multiple generations whereas yeah. punk sometimes really speaks to you when you're you know maybe 20 years old and you're angry and then you go <laughs> out of it right <laughs> but I like punk too I mean I like all that but you're right it's like because we were prog rock People are very kind of snobby about our music and writing these 20 minute epic songs that nobody would ever want to hear. They were just so self-indulgent and, and complex. But because of that, we kind of avoided the mainstream. So we weren't listening to the Beach Boys and the Eagles and that we were listening to quirky stuff from Britain. And then when the stuff came out, like Gary Newman and you know, Ultrabox and Joy Division, that was also just the beginning of New Wave. And, and to us, it was kind of a transition from the prog rock. And Simple Minds, they all had that sort of you know, atmospheric layers of sound. And I thought, wow, you know, we're never going to get anywhere with the prog music. So why not just change our music a little bit and become part of the new wave scene? And it happened pretty, you know, pretty easily for us. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of the same equipment, same synthesizers, same whatever, kind of just transitioned into that. 
Mm-hmm. I'm sure yeah. a lot of other bands have written too. I'm sure they all, you know, guys like Simple Minds and, and OMD, and they all kind of had the same kind of influences. Yeah, there's a there's definitely a, I think a, a more eccentric foundation when it comes to influences that you see in a lot of '80s bands, and I think you know from from the outside and with I think with people who remember the '80s just as a time of yeah big hair and shoulder pads and synthesizers, you know, I always appreciate that so many bands from that time don't actually sound the same. Uh, there's everyone has a very distinct yeah style and approach and when you start to dig into a lot of those musical influences you start to understand that they were so varied and so eccentric Mm -hmm. like uh, you know i think of you're making me think of uh reminds me of talk talk and you know they were really into john coltrane and can right and so their influences are coming from a totally different place now you're you're touching on my german roots with can and stuff like that i never realized you know growing up as a kid was born in canada but grew up in Germany till I was seven and I was sort of embarrassed about German music, you know, because all I thought there was was um, pop, uh, you know, kind of and then an accordion music. But no, there was a whole scene, you know, that in, in Berlin, places like that, like like Can and Faust and like all this stuff that was so ahead of its time. And and then of course Kraftwerk and all the Tangerine Dream and stuff that kind of really was the, the kind of the granddaddies of the whole new wave for electronic scene. That's why you get people like Depeche Mode and all, all, all of them, you know, they're what they do to those guys. And, and it came out of that, you know, Germany. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Guys like Bowie lived, you know, there for a while trying to catch that sound. And and it's, it's very kind of cool that I, you know, you learn a bit about your past that you never knew, really. You know, so I, I, whenever I'm, you know, I talk about German music, I'm like, wow, <laughs> not that I have to do with it, but that's something to be proud of in, in, a, in a weird kind of way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm reading an article was in um, I think Rolling Stone magazine that some guy argued that Kraftwerk was just as important as the Beatles for the history of music. Well, different ways. I mean, the Beatles have more hits and more accessible, but but just for the course of music, because you still hear those beats in in modern dance music and hip hop and electronica, and um, of course the synthesizers that weaseled away into everything eventually. You know, it wasn't just '80s music. Mm-hmm. I mean, that sounds like a valid argument. Yeah, and in a different way, you know. Yeah, I don't absolutely. think I could look Crawford all the time, but <laughs> they have their merit for sure. <laughs> so, in the eighties, what were you trying to accomplish creatively? Jeez, we we were so young, we didn't even know. You know, we just. I'm surprised the first record we made was called "Stick for Your Neighborhood." It was it was so out there. I don't think we even cared about getting airplay. That's how stupid we were. Again, we were still like prog. Kids. So we were going, ah, who cares? Us against them, and you know, we'll just do it our way. And the the, la- the label let us do what we want to do, which they probably shouldn't have. They should should have said, well, write at least one song for the radio, which we didn't, you know. But in in a strange kind of way, it got us other recognition. We went number one on college radio because we're so weird, you know. <laughs> and um, people like Martin, Dave Mars and CFNY heard us and and singled us out, you know, because again, we were different. We weren't necessarily great, but we were just really different. You know, and that that really helped. And that's what when people ask me now, like to give them advice on, you know, music the music industry. I mean, I can't help them because it's so different now than it was when we were. You know, like even the whole marketing and social media thing back then, we would put cassette tape and a photograph in a brown envelope and send it to the record labels. Like, see how, how much of that has changed. You know, but the most important thing I tell them just how cliche is as it sounds. Avoid normal and just do your own crazy little find your little niche. You know, not not try to be like everybody is on The Voice or America's Got Talent or whatever. Just I find those things offensive. Those shows, you know, like just I'd rather find some cool, really interesting band in a bar where the guys a little bit out of key singing. I don't care. I'd rather have that than you know perfection, which is boring. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, what you're talking about too. I think it goes back to your statement earlier about it being a simpler time in a lot of in that sense, right? Creatively. There's so much pressure now for, you know, especially young people, but I think all people right now to have a huge platform and to go viral and to have a huge audience around everything you're doing, whether it's running a business or mm-hmm. having a band or whatever it is that you're you're trying to do. Everybody's, you know, kind of caught up in this, yeah, this social media machine of getting all this attention around your work and it can 
sometimes take away from the actual art itself, right? And yeah. putting the time into to building your craft. I think that labels now that when they sign you, it's not even as much the songs as how many followers you already have and how much work you've already done on your own. You know, they just want to step in and take over. And yeah, it's kind of sad, really. You know, it's um, I I couldn't I wouldn't even know where to start if I was a young band now. <laughs> it's like, you know, back then it was you get from point A to B very directly. You know, mm-hmm. you, you meet somebody, they hear the music, and now it's like well, you got to build a mountain before you can you know get their attention even so. But the competition is so much more. You know, somebody said, well, you know, that, they kind of got a reverse. They said, wasn't well, that crazy? How could you even get heard if it's a little cassette tape? But you know what? When you put that brown envelope on the desk of that re- record exec, they maybe get 20 a day or 50 a day. Now with the internet, whatever, you get thousands a day, right? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh, I mean, the yeah. floodgates are open. So good luck to you. Yes, yes. I can't remember where I read this, but I... I Someone had written. Uh, it was a music history book. I'll, I'll have to I'll have to remember to put it in the show notes later. But um, I, someone was talking about how you know there was a time when people didn't want to go to art school either, right? In the sixties and seventies, it was a weird thing to do to go to art school. And now art schools have way more applications for enrollment than they have spaces for students, right? Because everybody wants to be an artist now, but you know, sixties, seventies, eighties, people were, were not pursuing the arts as a career in the same way that they do these days. Yeah. I I thought it'd be the way around. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Back then it was more organic though, wasn't it? Now it's probably all like, computer driven art or something i don't know but mm-hmm. who knows and then you know then the whole ai thing comes in and it's funny we do a song with big flock of seagulls and i just realized it's all about that you know the whole artificial intelligence thing that we're on the verge of you know falling into <laughs> there's a song called man-made from from the flock's first record and i said you know mike you realize that's what that song is about and you said you're right so now we mention it and we did it on stage and that's where we've, you know, that's a whole, I mean, they're, they're sort of turning points in our human history. This is going to be a huge one. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, and talking about music, oh, my God, I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't know. Yeah. You know, what? it's, it's, who's going to get signed now? Not, not yeah. you, maybe your avatar or your, your you know, whoever is, is better looking in, in the computer form or sounds better. You know, it's, it's just awful. It's, I think it's a terrible thing. Mm. Yeah, we, it's, we, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was saying something, you know, this might be the last, you know, couple of decades of real musicians playing real music. I don't know. Could be. Yeah, I mean, that's such a scary, a scary thought. But I think, it, you know, it's another example of how, you know, the, the 80s, yeah, did have that simplicity to them and that it, it seemed like a time that was very futuristic. You know, a lot of fashion felt very futuristic. And, and you look now how... how- attacking you know how dated it is right yes yes and so um yeah i think so much more yes very very simplified compared to the type of technology we have now and how how ubiquitous it is in our lives and and just what what we got you know talking about ai and and you know fake personalities or fabricated online persona but remember millie vanilli Mm mm-hmm who, who got big trouble for supposedly lip syncing on an award show. One of them committed suicide because they, their lives, they, their careers were over. And Mike and I were talking, Mike and Seagulls, a couple of days ago, and he said, those guys should get a Lifetime Achievement Award right now, you know, a posthumous one, because that's what everybody does now, you know? Mm-hmm. And they were they were thrown under the bus for it, you know? <laughs> it's just pretty <laughs> awful. It's like when we first, um, in the, like the mid-80s, we were one of the first bands in Canada that did... Um, product placement kind of things we did 50s jeans and all 50s got jeans remember those stores they were like bootlegger now i think and some things like that max al taste who did a commercial and boy did we get in trouble like people thought we were selling out and now now every artist that has a perfume or you know some kind of product and it's no big deal right it's funny how things change oh interesting very quickly yeah yeah Um, i mean that was such a big thing Though, you know, even, yeah, up until I think the late 90s, right? Selling out was the worst thing you could do. Even though, you know, everyone's trying to be successful. Yes, exactly. Because, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Get a vending machine at the airport. It was funny. There's a funny (laughs) juxtaposition. I know what airport it was at. There was a a, a Kylie Jenner vending machine. Have you seen those? 
No. But yeah, Kylie Jenner products. And right beside it was a Lego vending machine. Like, what a crazy world we looked at. So there's kids probably standing there going, which one should I buy from? So before you, <laughs> you get on your plane, you can buy a Kylie product or a little Lego kit, you know, make a little Star Wars scene or something. Oh, ah, wow. it's, yeah, it's funny. I love. I mean, I love the idea of a spoons vending machine, though. You get your T-shirt, yeah, I mean, a little forty-five. Right? I'm surprised there aren't more. Of it. <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier, yeah, that there, are, you know, um, there are younger people. You know, talking about people in their twenties uh, were born far outside of the eighties. You know, you know, picking up eighties style and. Uh, really celebrating the era. So I'm wondering, how do you explain the 80s to people who were not there for the 80s? Oh, jeez. I think all the things we just said, you know, originality, you know, it was all about creativity, being different, being being sort of just experimental. Mm-hmm. We're now, I mean, and you see it in shows, like I mentioned the voice, everybody has that sort of idea of what that ideal voice has to be. Or that sound, or that no, that, there was no such thing back then. The first time I noticed that happening when everybody in the nineties, where everybody wanted to sound like Eddie Vedder, that kind of thing, you know. But back in the eighties, we had, which is not a bad thing, but well, okay, and labels are only going to sign bands and have that kind of voice. No, but back in, in the eighties, man, who else sounded like, you know, like I'm trying to think of people's names, and the guy who sang for Psychedelic Furs, or the, or like, you know. The, what's his name? Smith from from the Cure. Nobody else sounded like him, right? And the, everybody had a voice. You know, Susie from the Susie Advantage, they could recognize her right away. Right now, artists, and it sounds so like I'm getting bitter and old, but I'm not. Like this sort of a, homogenous sound, right? That a lot of people have. And once in a while, somebody will come out and go like, it surprised me. There's some new artist called what's his name? Um, his name's Gray. I, I forget, but young artist. Like, wow, this guy sounds like he's sort of influenced by Freddie Mercury or something. Um, so the, once in a while you hear a voice that, you know, they probably never watch these shows and try to sound like other people. But in the 80s, oh, my God, it was just one different uh, Morrissey. You know, like everybody had a very distinct thing. And um, I wish we could get back to that, you know. Mm-hmm. That's always originality. It was a big part of the 80s. Of course, flamboyance. So it was show in the show, like. In the 90s, there was no show. It was just guitars, look, you know, keep your head down. But in the 80s, it was like a circus, right? You had not only the clothes, but, you know, staging and lighting. It was all a big production, right? And that was the life back then. It was over the top. It was excess, you know? But we all were like that. I remember having an accountant who had eyeliner on, you know, like when he went to work, boy, you used hair products. <laughs> and it's like, you know, we all did. So, and um, it had to end, obviously. You know, because it was silly. But when you take away all those silly bits, there was great music. And that's what's endured. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why do you think so many people are fascinated with the 80s still? And why so many people would probably be pretty happy to wake up tomorrow in 1985 yeah. again? <laughs> <laughs> well, those char- there were a lot of characters like that. Even the young people gravitate toward that because they were bigger than life. Like Boy George is like still, you know, touring to huge tours. He's like a, a huge character. And I mean, we did the first North American tour together in 82. And he's a bigger, he's one of the few superstars I've met. But you just have this feeling when you watch somebody, he's a bigger than life. Like, who could compare to like a Sinatra or that kind of thing. He's just like a, a bigger than life personality. And there were many of those guys, you know, that, that was just like awe-striking kind of people. Um, yeah, lots of bands. Simple Minds, first time I Simple Minds, especially being a prog rocker who was very, snobby about music i remember getting goosebumps and just not believing what i was hearing because they were so big and epic and symphonic and and i after the 80s i didn't get that to happen very often with bands you know it was like very rare you know i mean i gravitated to a lot of british bands after the 80s i was in love with the whole manchester scene i loved the verb anything richard ashcroft did um stuff like that sort of more atmospheric moody sort of stuff you know um so there was room right, for for a guitar player. I loved SDP. I like those kind of things, but it was not the same. It was a whole other, whole other like music just went like, Phew. you know, it's like the big crazy party was over, and now it's time to be serious and get back to our roots and you know, that kind of thing. Even though I'm sure there was party music too. There was there was that too. But 
as a musician, you know, like I said, for the Spoons, I thought it was the end of the world. So I had to sort of do what I could. So to do what I'm doing now, and we were talking about this in the band, both Mike from, from the Seagulls and myself, we said, this is the busiest year of our lives since probably 82. It's insane how there's not one week off. I come home once in a while for a couple of days and it's hard and tiring, but I'm sure I'm not going to complain because who knows how long it's going to go for, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we just got back from Belgium after you saw us at the CNE and, and California last week, go back to Vegas this weekend. Then we're going off to England for three weeks, Scotland, Wales, supposed to go to the Philippines in the fall. Eighties is a great decade to be part of. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredible when you, you know, when the spoons were starting out and you're putting out your first couple records, did you, would you have imagined that you'd still be active at this time? No, no, not at all. I thought maybe, you know, when I, when I saw musicians turning 40 and still playing music, I thought, wow, poor guy, like, I can't see that happening. And then that happened in the 50s, 60s. This is, yeah, never, ever in a million years. Sandy said the same thing. You know, how does that happen? But there was a time, like, there was a lull, like I, like I said, especially the beginning of the 90s, until things really picked up again that I really questioned what you know what am I going to do for the rest of my life what a gift I have now I, and I think another turning point I think was when Duran Duran came out with a record and it went through the roof remember it was a, a ordinary world I think or one of those, mm-hmm. those things he has an 80s band having a comeback that was a huge moment and that's where everybody got a little glimmer of hope that maybe they could do it and we started making records again and other 80s bands started making records again and I thought wow it's not, maybe it's not over and, and it's steadily kind of gone back up again from, from there. So yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I read an interview that you did. It was a few years ago, probably about five years ago, I think where you said that, um, that you like new music and you don't consider yourself a particularly nostalgic person. So how do you, how do you stay, current with mm-hmm. what you're doing right as an artist as a person you know someone who's making music but also enjoying music but who also is yeah is still in this world that yeah. wants to go back in time 40 years yeah. ago but yeah I, i'm definitely not stuck in the 80s musically i don't listen to 80s music on my time off or when we do these shows with other bands i just love hearing them live because now i'm one of the, the group I'm one of you know playing with usually the headliner, but I'm also a fanboy. Like no, there's Wang Chung, there's the you know, the, the Bangles, there's Boy George. So I'm I, I enjoy that part of it because on a different level, I hang out with them, talk about guitars, or have lunch with them, whatever that sort of thing. But I do love whenever I can find a new band. Like you know when you find a band that you, like when you were a kid and you you bought vinyl and you just I absorb myself. I'm not one of these people who just skips around from. I, I'll find a band I really love and just play that album to death. You know. And I'm still finding those bands, you know. And sometimes they're older bands. Like, there's one of my favorite Canadian bands, a band called The Fake Shark. Have you ever heard of them? From Vancouver. Insanely. You got to check them out. There's this song called Loser. That's incredible. It's got 80s bits in it, too. Um, they're really influenced that I can hear. I mentioned that, um, what's his name? Conan Gray. Love his song. I just heard it on, on the Sports Channel. A song called Never Ending Song. Brilliant song. It's got bits of 70s, 80s, sort of pompous vibe to it. Um band called Lanny I really like no I mean the certain bands from the 90s I, I love I'm a huge prodigy fan <laughs> believe it or not I'm just starting to get into bands like Rammstein <laughs> I'm all over the place right but they all have that element of show and, and big and and theatrical you know they're, they're just standing there like Pedro from Fully Done <laughs> we actually he actually came out to a show I mentioned his name because we did a show in downtown LA a couple months ago and when in Rome was playing as well in the bill, as far as he goes, when in Rome and men without hats. And the song The Promise was in Napoleon Dynamite. So he came out to MC, remember Pedro? Which <laughs> is actually pretty cool to see him. He's, he's nothing like the character in, in there. There you go. Yeah, so I was a fanboy once again. <laughs> it's funny, funny little things, you know. And that's what the 80s is like. It's got so many levels of things that will attract the old the old crowd, but also new new fans because it's not just the music. Mm-hmm. People just sometimes want to dress up and be eighties, right? 
Or they they want to jump around and party like it's the 80s. It was, like I say, for a lot of people, the party they want to go back to or the one that they never experienced, so they want to sort of recreate it a little bit and get a little taste of it. Where else are you going to go? I don't know. It was mm -hmm. the best party town, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, what are people what are people looking for in it all? Oh, the obvious stuff: escape, you know, um, not worry about things too much, and um, and it was so I mean flawed and raw, and it wasn't perfect, and you know, yeah, I think I think it's not a bad place, you know, to go back to. Mm -hmm. um, we we did this thing last year called Eighties in the Sand, which they do every year down in. Quinta Cana at the Hard Rock thing. It's like it's a, a week of 80s music, like three shows a day, you know. We did it with the Spoons. Now they had Culture Club and the, and the Cult and Linda Carl and like a vast array of things, heavy metal bands. I think this year they have like Twisted Sister <laughs> and the Thompson Twins. But if you have if you have a week off, you should go to this thing. I think it's the beginning of November. And that's what people do, do there. And continuing what we're talking about, I met so many people that go every year. It's usually 1,500 people because that's how many it can hold and they, they take over the whole resort for, for the week. And most of them say, this is the best week of my life every year mm -hmm. because they get to relive and just be silly and be those kids that they were back in the eighties. And, you know, watch television, watch any, any TV show or movie from the eighties. They all have that innocence about them, you know, even shows that we thought were serious. Like I just watched the Terminator. Is that, is that an eighties music uh, movie, the Terminator movies? And back then they were like, oh man, this is scary. But now I watch them like they're fun. They're fun and, and so you know, simple, you know, simple uh, action film. And it's not too complicated. You know, gets to the point. And uh they had great fashion, you know, always. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even Art Arnold was dressed well, you know. It was uh it was a funny time. It's very self-absorbed, I guess, you know. And like maybe we kind of felt guilty about that for a little bit after the 80s. Not anymore. You know, let's let's be self-centered again and go back. <laughs> be silly. It's, it's interesting you say that because I, I think, you know, one of one of the things that always strikes me about the 80s when I go back and watch, say, 80s movies or music videos and looking at celebrities of the time who was popular at the time. Um, you know, the thing about the 80s is that people looked really normal there is not you know you could look like the girl next door and have a huge acting career yeah, uh, yeah. you know you like didn't Molly have Ringwald, to be yes yeah. yes yeah you didn't have to be totally done up you didn't have to look perfect mm -hmm. um and was now this before was this before yes, yes this is it right <laughs> yeah I mean now everybody yeah. is it seems like there's it, we live in this time where everyone is fixing their faces because they want to look perfect on social media or yeah they're you know they're hoping to be noticed in some way and um and and I think that there's a that's maybe also part of what you know what people want to go back to is a time where there was just less less pressure to be someone that you're not mm -hmm. and yeah. you could just yeah be who you are and be considered beautiful as you were yeah. I think yeah, I think I said that, that in my book it was a time for all the misfits of the world to feel like they're the top of the world. You know, that's what mm -hmm. it was like. I know mean, you look at the breakfast club, all those characters are all like, yeah. they have their own problems. They have issues. They, they're demons and they're a little rough around the edges. And, but I bet you everybody in that theater could associate with one of them. Right. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. now, now you look at these actors and say, well, you're too busy looking at their lips or their whatever, you know, are those real or it's like, it's, a, it's just a different thing. It's like almost like morphing into AI. Right. Trying to reach mm -hmm. that ultimate perfection, right. which just becomes ugly or bland, you know. Right. There's no, there's no character left. Everybody starts looking the same, and yeah, the, that's it's like music, you know. Yeah. Oh, geez, we're on it. Have you? Everything is a big sameness, a big homogenous kind of that. If that we're being, I don't think we want to be there, but we're sort of being funneled there somehow. Yeah. There's no conspiracy yeah. theory in that. Well, <laughs> yeah. You listen to the same songs all day and the radio, you know, it's getting that way. You know, how often mm -hmm. do you hear a great new song by a great new band coming down? Mm -hmm. Never anymore, I don't think. Mm -hmm. I find songs by accident. I mean, they're on the internet or if you're a friend. I say, check this out. Oh my God. If you hadn't told me about it, I would never have heard about it. You, know, so you got you to gotta dig a bit deeper now.
Yeah, it's it can be it can be hard to discover something these days, even though there's so we have so much access to so many things. But it's it's yes, it is hard to find them sometimes. What was your impression or idea of where music was headed in the 80s? Where did you think things were were going back then? I don't think we thought too much about it. I thought it would never end, really. Mm -hmm. And we got a solid 10 years, which is pretty good, you know, especially for bands these days. I, I thought I thought it would go on forever. Like we were in a certain routine where we would, you know, record and make videos for a year. Then we toured for a year. I mean, it became so common back and forth that when it suddenly fizzled out, I was like, what? What happened? Like, the rug was pulled from under our feet. And I was like, what? And it was like I said, I thought the end of the world for everything we'd ever done. So we didn't think about it at all. We, we were just, you know, long for the ride. And uh, maybe in the, near the end, we kind of worried a little bit. You know, because that last record didn't do as well as it should have, trying to be all expected. But we we didn't know what was just around the corner. What was just what was brewing in Seattle and places like that. It was it, nobody could have really foreseen that, but maybe some people did. You know, while we mm-hmm. while we were having so much fun and enjoying the the crazy eighties, there was a whole other faction of people going, "Oh, just you wait, we're gonna we got a big surprise for you." You know, I guess it had to happen like like anything. And I enjoyed a lot of it too. I don't, I don't begrudge them one bit. I, I love all that music. You know, but yeah, yeah. But you're right. Everybody's waiting for that next great thing. And I mean, there were a few of them, obviously, in Nirvana and that sort of thing, big ground, um, game changing kind of things. But um, those were far and few in between. I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, for for several decades, it seemed like there was a, you know, it was a, a generational swing, right, from from one decade to the next, where you'd see, you know, a sound or a style, a movement overtake what was previous, and then after the '90s, that didn't really seem to happen. It seemed like every, you know, everyone's attention shifted into technology, and mm-hmm. and social media became the big movement instead, rather than a cultural mm-hmm. or a creative mm-hmm. one, right? And, and I should say, I don't want to sound like some snobby '80s guy because there's a lot of terrible music in the '80s. I'd be first to admit it. There's a lot of songs I thought were terrible spoon songs. <laughs> You know, I didn't necessarily like them, and I, I'll admit it. I mean, I've, I'm pretty, I'm a good you know filter of my own stuff, and there was a lot of great stuff in the '90s and the thousand, ten, two thousand. There's great music in every decade if you look mm-hmm. for it. So I'm never going to say that the '80s was everything. No, some of my favorite bands were from, like I said, from the '90s onward. Like like I mentioned, you know, Oasis and SDP, and I love those bands, Chili Peppers, and I like those bands better than any '80s band I can name. You know, and they came after. So, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm never going to say that the 80s was the end of everything, but it yeah. was just a great time and, and original. And, and since we're on the subject, we'll, we'll just give it glowing reviews and just how great it was. Yeah, absolutely. And yes, yeah. You know, people say something, wouldn't you love to go back and just do a time machine? Just no, I like my life just the way it is right now, but the memory of the 80s and where it's taken me right now. And I'm quite happy with that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah, you're right. I mean, Yes, a lot of great stuff came out in in the '90s too, and and I actually, I you know, I don't know even if you know. Sometimes I wonder would would we see the '80s in the same way if the '90s hadn't happened, right? Everything influences other things, yeah. and so um, yeah. yeah, going you know, seeing what was happening with grunge and and going through that period as well uh, makes you it gives you something to compare other sounds to, yeah. right? So yes, it is, um, it all flows together. Uh, oh, yeah, it's a reason for everything, right? What had to happen. Yeah. Like, I was like when the Sex Pistols in the end of the seventies, they had mess- They had to sort of destroy what was there before too. And, That's it, yeah. And, you, yeah. and the, the destruction is, is always painful, a little, you know, in your face and harsh, but then it levels off and then until the next little bump and it's yeah. good. It's all, it's all interesting. It's how, yeah. yeah. It's how about. It's- it's how the culture shifts, right? Yeah, it's good. It's good. Have you ever felt creatively limited by fan expectations of how your music should sound? Um, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. I, I don't really remember that. I mean, sometimes from record labels, you know, they would... It's so funny, when we first got signed, like I say, we made the Stick Figure Neighbor record, which was not commercial at all. And then we had big success with Nova Heart. You know, and, and especially in Canada. And then, like I say, back then, it took for the middle America a while to catch up. Anything electronic. But, you know, East Coast, West Coast, 
they loved it. It did well, but still not like the mainstream. And I remember I sat in this, you know, massive song, Nova Heart, and we were finishing the tour with with Culture Club in the States, and all the record execs came out because it was in Los Angeles. And they said, what a great tour. And then I remember one guy just pulling me aside and said, you know, can you maybe write something for, you know, for America, like American radio? And, and I was, I'm right there. I was like, oh, my God. I, I, I was on top of the world, and he sort of pulled me back down, thinking, like, we, we hadn't done what we were supposed to do. Like, this, they, they obviously expected more from us. And that's when instead of you know i got, I got out of my little depression there <laughs> that little thing because i realized they had some doubts you know that we couldn't tackle america so that's where i quickly not quickly because it happened pretty naturally but i wrote nova heart i mean not nova heart romantic traffic and tell no lies which i thought would be perfect for you know american radio and this is where everything kind of went weird for us because we we're everything for those couple of years was just going like this you know record deals tours stepping stones to that point where they you know we recorded those two songs they were huge in canada they were released by AM records in los angeles with the help of sting and now rogers you know wanting us to be on the label and the same guy who signed the doors signed us it was all it's hype about us and they told us these are the songs when they got those songs in their lap said perfect these are the songs that are going to break you in america and we couldn't believe it and guess what happened next <laughs> the guy came in from the, they got rid of all the the, the A&R people and they were replaced by a new guy who just cleaned house he said no we're starting from scratch so the songs were never released in america and we couldn't even get the masters back they're down the vault somewhere at the AM records gone you hear these stories once in a while mm -hmm. and that was the, the talking about the rug being pulled from under your feet that was it, it was done we just had to go home we couldn't even release them on our own unless we recorded them from scratch and did it all again. That was, so we, we did everything they asked us to do. And then something happened and it wasn't just us. It was pretty well, all the new bands on the roster, the guy decided, no, you know, I'm going to do something different. I have a different vision for the label. So there you go. That's probably the, the one bad thing that happened to us. And we had a pretty effortless journey you know, with the spoons, but that was a big, big gap and, and it sort of or everything fell apart you know luckily we had our fans in canada we had the success here we just ran home did whatever we could here mm -hmm. and we went back again a few times to signing with anna rector with and then with with ray daniels and russia's label in canada and they we gave another go of the american market with the bridges over borders record which actually sold more in america than here so it worked but never what you know imagine if dramatic traffic had come out down there i think Anybody who hears it now, I'm, friend, I'm friends with Richard Blade from K-Rock, and he, he does First Wave on Sirius. And he remembers playing Nova Heart. He was a big fan. And he he had never heard that song. And he played it on his show a couple of weeks ago as a song that had never been played before. And he said, that, that's crazy. That should have come out in America. So mm -hmm. That's my sob story right there. Uh, yeah, there's, I know there's... <laughs> I don't imagine yeah. how good things could have been. It could have been so different, right? Yeah, it's one of those those things where, you know, if you if you go back and forth about what if too much, you know, you can oh, go so crazy with it. it. Yeah. It was meant to happen. I could have been imagine that we could have been big and America moved to Los Angeles and I'd be, you know, it's getting well right now or dead or something, you know. Not, people's lives go all funny ways when you get too much pain. So Yeah. And you never you know, you never know, right? Sometimes to, you know, having an opportunity doesn't doesn't always take you where you think it will either right you just, you just never know yeah i could yeah. have done nothing that i would really been upset at least i could think well we deserved that we should have we would have done that you know yeah. when in reality maybe we would have done nothing but who knows i mean i think that, that's our one regret <laughs> <laughs> well i think the great thing about the time that we're in now is that so many you know so many bands continue to be discovered and so much you know so much music from the 80s continues to get airplay right mm -hmm. i mean oh yeah uh it's it's i i, I go to the grocery store and <laughs> hear all the all my favorite 80s songs it's yeah. it's kind of it's the it's it's become um it's become so normal everywhere and so I, I think like you said earlier you know 
being abandoned in the eighties is a, a good thing because everything is continuing on, oh, right? And remakes too. Like there's that "Spin Me Round" but song is being used in the commercial now. A remake by some girls singing it. I see that hear the safety dance. I'm Ivan as a friend and using so many different things. And um, sometimes they'll use the actual song, but I'm hearing like reinterpretations of those old songs done modern style, whatever. So I guess the the song. It, is, is strong enough to, to endure and, and connect with people. So I'm just still waiting for that spoon song to be used in a, in a commercial. Mm-hmm. I still think there's a good car commercial for romantic traffic. Right. Like imagine like, two Volkswagen Beetles pulling up to a light and there's a cute girl and a good looking guy and they kind of look at each other and hawk. But be, be, you know, like, I think that'd be, that'd be very cool. Someone, but, yeah, someone's got to get on this. This is a missed yeah. opportunity. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what do what do people tell you about what your music has meant to them? Yeah, that's the best part, you know. Mm. Like I don't know if you noticed at the CNE, but we always go out afterwards. A lot of bands don't. We'll spend an hour, hour and a half, sometimes two hours, just meeting greet people. They do merch, and signing, and the stories are so good, you know. And I'm not, I'm not saying this. To, I'm really mean it. Like the, that, that's the moments when you get goosebumps or teary or. You know, from people that say, well, this is my wife. We met at one of your concerts in high school. And we had our first date and first kiss. And and now we're still together. And we got married on two people. I remember one guy used to go to, I think, Kandahar or something. And he said every morning with this troop, they would put their earbuds in and start with, with Nova Heart, like oh, wow. to march to. Or, or a guy from the TTC said, to this day, he puts on romantic traffic every morning on his and as well, it's like that's so cool, <laughs> you know. And really, or people went through depression or awful times in their lives, and it's also. I'm not, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, but they, you know, how much it helped them. I don't know how, but whatever. I'm glad it did. You know, listening to the music, I'm, I'm sure with other people's music too, but it provides some kind of comfort or something. Like that's when you go, wow, like that's. I guess it doesn't get better than that. So. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the, you know, that's uh, one of the most amazing things about music is that it has such a power to change people's lives and and in so many ways, because everyone hears a song, but they make it their own. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not even anything to do with the lyric. You know, you can hear a song and people will hear, but it takes a song like, I don't know. Romantic traffic. You don't think about traffic, but I think the first thing it does to people, like I would do a song for that, you know, from Ultravox or Simple Minds, if I want to mention the 80s bands, it's just the mood of the time when you were listening to it. You know, I, I'm back into that, you know, again, nothing to do with the lyrics. It could be that point in my life. It could be, you know, what was happening then in the world or whatever. That's what, that's what comes back, like a little time capsule, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, and I say how lucky we are to have those. As, as musicians or as any kind of artist to have those little time capsules forever, you know, like songs, videos, albums. And it's not, like I say, not even the lyrics of the, it's just the whole emotions and time and mindset that went along with it. Just sort of compressed in that little, little thing and maybe different for different people, but it's, uh, it's pretty strong when, especially when it lasts as long, you know, that you can hear a song that you've listened to a thousand times and still does that. So there's something deep down that I don't know it affects people in a different way than maybe maybe even visual things sometimes I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, and it's you know it's amazing too that that music from the '80s is so yeah it's you know not only so popular right now but that it it continues to be discovered and appreciated as well because that means there's a a whole new generations of people who get to have those same experiences again and again there's that timelessness oh yeah that music right and there's an endless wealth of the stuff right like you said there's stuff that wasn't that great and and we're part of that we had some things that but um there's so much there's you can spend the rest of your life discovering stuff there's bands that i really didn't even notice that much back in the 80s. And, and I just learned to love them since then, you know, more than ever. <laughs> you know, Loving Rockets, you know, those kind of things. And um, Bauhaus, and that's sort of the, the, the darker things. And like, if you get tired of electronica, you can go to ska music, you can go to punk, you can go to you know, electronic pop, happy OMD kind of things, or Bananarama or, or whatever. There's so much 
And, and the thing is, they all got along pretty well back then, I think. You know, <laughs> they weren't like, if you're into this kind of music, but ah, we all went to the same festivals and we all got along. Except for the one time we did the police picnic in the 82, where I first met Mike Score from the Flyer Seagulls. Um, and it was, we were the two young bands on the bill, and it was Talking Heads, Police, and Joan Jett talking about people not getting on. But there, in that case, uh, she got pelted with fruits and vegetables, but a certain part of the crowd, I think, with the English beat fans or something. So they must have been in their own little clique. They didn't approve of Joan Jett being. Oh, wow. But in general, we all got along. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was, I was, we were backstage. Mm-hmm. Just before we got signed to AM, we, we were standing with Sting, who's on there, talking to us. Like, you know, they like this and this. And she comes flying off the stage into our chair, slams the door. And then a few minutes later, she put a big sign on her door saying, you know, I won't say F off on it in big letters. But she went back on stage. And and the funny thing is, she got treated like garbage that day, which she didn't deserve. And if you look back in retrospect, if you took a time machine back, she's probably the most enduring, cool thing from that show. She, I think she's more relevant now to like new generations with I Love Rock and Roll than any police song, I would say. Police, they're big and they're great. But to new generations and girls and, and I don't know, it just has more. So they might go back in time machine and start pelting, you know, us or the talking heads deserve that one bit and then she's and she's touring like crazy now too you know, she's, yeah yeah busy. she's such an icon i can't imagine oh, i can't imagine her, that yeah. that people would do that yeah mm-hmm. yeah but generally yeah like say we all got along but there were a few people that had ideas but who you know it wasn't just random right you don't bring vegetables to a rock concert do you know <laughs> <laughs> it must have come prepared. Yeah. yeah. Well, Gord, thank you so much. This has been such a great chat. Before we wrap up, do you want to let people know where they can find out more about you and your music? Um, well, we do have a website, spoonsmusic.com, but it's it's boring. There's nothing on there. I never go to people's websites. I just follow the day to day. We do a little bit of Instagram sort of thing, but still mainly Facebook. Just go to find the spoons or go depth because that is changes every day and there's always things added. And especially on my own, it'll combine the spoons with Flock of Seagulls, who I'm more b- busy with now, of course, and we tour the world. But once in a while, we get these shows together, which is nice, you know, like we did in Toronto. And um, so you'll find, yeah, that's the best place to go. Okay, great. But, okay. Yeah. I'll get that link up too in the show notes. Thanks everyone for tuning into the Forever 80s podcast. This is Liz Worth, and I'll talk to you again soon. The Forever 80s podcast hosted by Liz Worth, where we talk to fans, artists, collectors, and more about all the things we love about the 1980s. If you like this episode, let us know. Hit subscribe, leave a review, or share it with a friend. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon.